If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? We have legitimate concern that Jesus wouldn't recognize us, Holy One. After all, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The early followers of Jesus were not into respectability politics. They were known as troublemakers, pot stirrers, and resistors. Their claim, Jesus is Lord, was a direct challenge to the powers and principalities, for it meant Caesar was not Lord. It was problematic. It was political. It was powerful. It articulated the difference between Rome's mantra, peace through violent victory, and Jesus' work of peace through nonviolent justice. But somewhere between Jesus' crucifixion and the murder of Breonna Taylor, we lost the plot. So instead of saying black lives matter, white preachers only lament the destruction of property post-rally. And instead of insisting defund the police, white Christians only ask for diversity training. Give us wisdom and courage, Holy One, to remember who we are so that we might be worthy of being called disciples of Jesus. It's already taken too long. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent's entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. 
Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Preaching in the time of the pandemic can be a lonely experience. So this week I teamed up with my friend and colleague, the Reverend Chris Moore, pastor of our sister congregation, Fellowship Congregational UCC in Tulsa, for a dialogue sermon on the scripture from Genesis. Hi, Lori. Hey, nice to see you. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I am. I'm. I'm. I'm okay. Um, Not okay. Everyone is okay. Well, yes. Oh, it's a balance. Yes. Um, so, as you know, this month uh, ordinarily would have been a very different month uh, for us uh, leading open and affirming churches. It's Pride Month. Um, so, for us here in Tulsa, last weekend would have been Pride. Uh, you know, a, a full week for full of activity, including an interfaith pride service that didn't go on, um, and the pride parade, and uh, which the, the weather uh, acknowledged by being a thousand degrees uh, last Saturday, uh, but no parade. And uh, so we've instead tried to do some things online and, the, and to make some connection. And, you know, it's, it's missing. Uh, we're missing out on a lot of those things. I know you're missing out. Yeah, Mayflower, I think a lot of folks at Mayflower are grieving that uh, this is the time of year where the kids decorate the church van and we are marching in the Pride Parade and our deacons are hosting a table at the Pride Festival. Uh, last year, we took part and, and hosted the first ecumenical Pride worship yeah. and it was a remarkable gathering and people were really looking forward to that annual event and I keep reminding people that it we are still celebrating it's just it's just gonna look a little different and which is our mantra these days right we're still whatever it's just gonna look everything right right it's still important I mean for us it's important I know for you it's important to to sort of lift up pride and kind of do that do that uh in in as many ways as you can because um we are uh, swimming upstream to a certain extent in, in Oklahoma as leaders of open and affirming churches, which in our parlance means, uh, you know, churches that are inclusive of the LGBTQIA plus uh, community uh, fully. Uh, uh, that That's we're, right. We're unusual. We're, we're, there's not many of us, uh, certainly in, in the state of Oklahoma. And uh, you know, pride brings up a particular time to acknowledge that and celebrate that and to let a lot of people know that we exist um, because there's so many people out there who have experienced so much spiritual trauma. And we know this as, as pastors. I'm, I'm not surprised any longer that I hear from people who either in a new members class or, or um, in some other way that they never knew a church like this existed or, um, you know, they had never heard the Bible talked about in that way. And so it's easy to stay in our bubbles and think that, you know, nobody, uh, everybody knows about this already and we don't need to talk about this. But instead, what we know is there's a lot of people out there deeply, deeply wounded 
um, by a church that says, as all churches do, all are welcome. Um, yes, and what I want us to start spelling out explicitly, and I, what I think people need to start demanding from their pastors and their churches, is to say, what does that mean? Right. When you say all are welcome, does that mean that this church expects me to teach Sunday school? Mm. Will they officiate my wedding? Will yeah. they offer the sacraments? Will I be able to celebrate the sacraments with the gathered body? Right. And those pieces are critical. They're critical because otherwise it's a bait and switch. Right. You're all are welcome, comma, but mm -hmm. or until you want to hold your partner's hand in worship. Right, with a giant asterisk, you know, next to it. All are welcome, wink, wink. And, you know, so there are also churches that are somewhere in that middle that, that I think do really have the intention of, of, of saying all are welcome. Um, but what I think we're discovering is that being open and affirming is not a finish line that you cross. It's a process that you continue and it should evoke in you all the time, educating yourself, um, um, expanding your own horizons, uh, thinking about um, what you're doing, even, you know, from our perspective, even down to the physical building itself. So looking at things like, do we have gender neutral bathrooms everywhere? Um, you know, what, what are we saying without saying a word about who we are welcoming and how we are welcoming them? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, the, the idea that um, we sort of live in an open and affirming society now that marriage equality is the law of the land, I, I think is a trap a lot of folks slip into, and especially the progressive church. Um, we haven't, we're not done yet. We're not finished yet. Not externally or internally. Yeah, no kidding. So the Genesis passage is a great example for us to look at. You know, this is, um, there are a lot of passages in the Bible that, uh, well, there are not a lot of passages, there are a few passages in the Bible that are often called the clobber passages that we pull out and examine because they are most often weaponized against the LGBTQ plus uh, community. And uh, this is true also of, of not this passage that we're talking about today, but the passage that, that this is attached to. Um, so you often get the Sodom and Gomorrah story, but you don't get this part of the story that is, they're connected. Uh, you have to have them. We have a middle section in there in which Abraham argues with God about Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's really it's really two choices set before you. And one is clearly held up as the righteous, correct choice, and one as the unrighteous, incorrect choice. And, and what's held up today in our passage that we heard today is the righteous uh, part of that. And it, it's this radical inclusion, this radical welcome uh, that is given to these angelic beings uh, who Abraham and Sarah show this ludicrous amount of of uh, generosity to uh, giving them, you know, three measures of, of, of bread, it says, would be like, it's enough bread for three days, and, you know, killing the, the fatted calf and milk and curds and honey and all that, you know, it's just this over-the-top stuff. Yeah, and it, it's not even just this, um, you know, uh, nourishment. 
It's also rest and respite. Abraham invites them to come and wash their feet. Right. Uh, Come and sit. Come, not, I don't want to keep you just on the front porch. I want you to come and and you can use my restroom. Right. Kind of. Stuff. I mean, like that's I mean, that's what doing. Right. It's protection. It's safety from a from a world that's not necessarily safe out there. I mean, this is we are offering you sanctuary, and that's really what's what's happening in this. Uh, so, you know, part of our task, I think as open and affirming churches and something that comes up again and again at pride uh, we march in part so that we can be a visible example to people that not all churches are going to respond to you the way that you have been responded to and and that there is if you want this in your life a place where you can go deconstruct those um, bible passages that you've been beat up with and also reconstruct them in a way that is that is helpful to you, uh, because we're not making the argument, we're making the argument that that you read the Bible in a different way, but we're not making the argument that you don't read the Bible. That's right, and and the the work of reconstruction is so crucial, and the piece that sometimes we don't ever move into. A lot of folks know, especially progressive folks, we know what we do not believe. We know that we know what has hurt us. We know what theology has been painful and harmful, and we know that we reject that. But then that's where we stop. Right. That is, this is our work, as we talk about this all the time, as progressive pastors and preachers and teachers, is okay. Let's not just say the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not about homosexuality. Let's. Which it isn't. It isn't. Let's widen that lens so that we really do understand the the context so that we understand the text so that we go back and read chapter 18 so that we can put chapter 19 in context to see that this story is about identity and formation for ancient Israel to say God wants us to be a people of radical hospitality. And this is what it looks like. It looks like an inordinate amount of bread. It looks like coming in and offering to wash someone's feet. Right. It looks like giving them rest. This is who I want you to be known as. Right. And then here's another story, which tells you what I don't want you to be known as. Like here's, here's yeah. what receives God's punishment, right? Here's what receives rebuke from God in the, in the most, you know, harsh, harsh terms possible. And it's set out there as a drama. I mean, so there's some education in how we, how we read the Bible and how we understand these ancient stories that are storytelling kinds of things that aren't literal. Uh, you know, they're, they're meant to, to convey a message. And, and that message is really important and, and actually gets lost when we use that as a club against one set of people what we lose is the thing that is should be transformative to all of us, including LGBTQ plus people who should be part of that storytelling experience and hearing that call as well, that your call is that you are a accepted and loved as a beloved child of God, like everybody else. And that same radical inclusion and hospitality, et cetera, et cetera, is expected of you. 
And that gets into why, uh, like in the differences on how we read the text. So after folks learn, you know, like they, they've experienced these clobber verses that have been used as weapons against them, the, the response is then to say, to come to a, a progressive church or a progressive pastor and say, okay, arm me right. Arm me with a scripture I can use against someone else. To clobber the person who was clobbering me. Right. And hate my way out clobbering is misses the point. We don't we don't want to reverse clobber. Let's not do that. That misses the point. So that Uh, is tempting. And though, you know, though I do understand from a pastoral point of view, we do need to talk about the ways you've been hurt and seek some um um restoration for that. Uh I understand that, but it doesn't, you know, we're not seeking revenge is not the goal here. That's right. So we're not going to read that story and then like flip over a couple of pages to pull out something on our own. What we're going to do is we're going to stay with that story, stay with the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, but again, widen that lens. So we're going back to read the story that we read today. Yeah. Hey, this is actually about hospitality and now it becomes about choosing who we want to be. Right. If the people of Israel chose how, who they were going to become, who they would be known as, their primary identifiers, we get to do that too. And so will we also choose hospitality or will we be like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and choose violence and choose power plays. Yeah. Which will it be? It's up to us. Yeah. It, it really is a way of, of reading the Bible that for me, and I think for you has been um, uh, heightened for me, has been enriched uh, by hearing voices that haven't been excluded from the church um, for a long period of time whether those are uh, black and brown voices from, from our context, whether those are, um, in this case, LGBTQ+, plus, you know, the, the queer theology movement that has really, for me, um, opened up a whole new way of thinking about uh, the text. And that's, that's part of the gift of inclusion that you learn and why it's not a finish line, but, a, but something you continue is because the gospel lesson is to us as we pull more in, if, if we are all created in God's image, then all of these people have some component of God to them that bringing them in allows us to, to enrich our own experience of God. Yeah, that's right. Um, when we start seeing each other at, with, a, with a primary label as child of God, when we center ourselves in, in that identity, um, then it becomes impossible for us to say, you don't belong in this sanctuary or you are unworthy of love and respect and dignity. It just becomes impossible to do that. It's impossible to call someone illegal. Right. It's impossible to call someone um, an animal. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to do that. You, uh, 
you, I know, uh, in our past discussions about this, have talked about uh, Patrick Chang's work, um, particularly in Rainbow Theology, but in other places as well, and and some of the things that um, Chang brings to to our understanding of um, not just this passage, but really how we read, even, not even specifically this passage, but really how we read the Bible and how we experience um, uh, God. And it, some of it is really part of that deconstruction, reconstruction process. Yeah, and I think this is an important step for the church to, to make. This is the next step. It's not simply to be open and affirming of the, of the queer community, but to say, uh, queer theology has some specific gifts, some important gifts that the church needs to embrace. And Patrick Chang, who um, is author of several books, including Radical Love and Rainbow Theology, um, he lists at least three. Um, there are more, but three, uh, three that we're going to talk about today. Um, and the first uh, gift of spir queer spirituality is multiplicity. It refers to a state of having multiple coexisting and overlapping identities as opposed to a singular dominant identity. Which sounds like a really good description for the Trinity. I mean, there's, there's our doctrine right there, right? So it's one plus one plus one equals one. It's all of those things all wrapped up in together. Uh, how, how God is many things, but just one thing, but also many things. And yeah. Whose pronoun may be they and them. Right. God, God is non-binary. That's right. That's right. And, and that also calls us to this, uh, particularly the uh, white heteronormative um, paradigm or identity. The thing that we call orthodoxy, by the way, right? That's right. The thing we call right belief. Right. We, we hold that out as if this was something that everybody agreed to and held up as the, you know, but queer spirituality says, no, 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 there's not just the one, right. there's the many, and they coexist, and it's vital that we recognize um, the multiplicity uh, of voices, of perspectives, of identities. The church could really benefit from exploring that more. Yeah. Especially, second, go ahead. Especially right now, that's all I was saying. Yeah. Especially right now. Mm -hmm. That the second gift that uh, Patrick Chang talks about is something called middle space, the gift of middle space, which he says is a state of being perpetually suspended in a third space between two poles, a liminal space. And he draws upon the work of, a, of several Asian American theologians um, and makes the argument that queer people of color, specifically, exist in a liminal uh, space. And that can be painful at times, but it can ultimately help those of us who identify as Christians to recognize that only in God can we find our true home, can we find our, our true center. It, it is one of the challenges, I think, right now for what we face, again, when we think about hospitality and the kind of radical hospitality offered to us in this Genesis passage. And from, from my perspective, when we think about what's going on right now, so that uh, we have this um, really sort of 
burning bright flame around uh, racial justice issues uh, for for, uh, obvious and appropriate uh, reasons. And that's all happening at the time that we're having, you know, pride celebration. So, you know, which thing sort of takes priority and helping us to understand um, in, again, in that sort of liminal space, how these things are actually connected uh, and, and that some of the pain we cause in, in lifting up one issue over another issue is that we kind of don't see that connection sometimes. We don't um, at least honor that connection. Yeah, and that is that 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 flows right into the third gift of queer spirituality that Cheng talks about of the 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 gift of mediation um, that there can be um, disparate identities and ideas that are actually woven together, and the the mediator becomes a transformative agent. The church, I, I believe, can become a transformative agent, particularly in this moment when we're talking about okay we're in the middle of a a Black Lives Matter movement while also um, celebrating pride and also recognizing that this work is not finished. Right. It is not complete. Right. Uh, But these are not two separate, uh, two separate problems or two separate issues or uh, um, cannot be, cannot coexist. And the church looks at that and says, this is about justice. Right. And you've got to say, as you say, Black Lives Matter, you've got to acknowledge that, that, that Black trans women are murdered more at a higher rate than any. I mean, it's just it's this disgustingly high uh, uh, number. And so you're, that justice place, that's where that intersection occurs. And how we mediate that is, is really goes back to the Genesis passage. It is about our sense of inclusion and our sense of so from my perspective being open and affirming and being a church dedicated to racial justice are part of the same path that's right and the and the same with um the church and black lives matter i was thinking when i was rereading the genesis text and for whatever reason abraham's offer of foot washing mm-hmm. yes reminded me of um, Fred Rogers, yeah. and episode in which he invites. Are you bringing up like an actual episode? Right. Okay. All right. To come and and put his feet in, you know, a, a kiddie swimming pool, which at the time was uh, not acceptable. But Tom Rogers said, "I'm going to show millions of kids across America this that fun. this is how we behave. This is hospitality." Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I do think, you know, Mr. Rogers is the perfect example of somebody who understood that you had to be taught to hate. And so you had to also be taught how to love. Like we don't talk about that enough. So one of the reasons that we do a deconstruction and reconstruction process, one of the reasons that we engage in, uh, uh, you know, this work of radical inclusion, uh, one of the reasons that we reach out and, and, educate ourselves about social justice issues and then act upon them is because we're trying to teach ourselves how to love and what that love is like. And as Dr. Cornell West says all the time, you know, uh, justice is what love looks like in public. Yes. I mean, that, that's it. And, and this, our story from today 
it is the church's reminder that we are we are called to embody hospitality we are called to go out and to greet people to embrace them to call them in to offer them nourishment and rest and so the story teaches us literally teaches us how to love right right there you go and then then we counter that with the story that teaches you how not to love and so that you know holding this up as a clobber passage the story of sodom and gomorrah is not only wrong um and if you don't agree with me go look at ezekiel the prophet ezekiel even says the the sin of sodom and gomorrah was uh, a lack of hospitality and and or and, you or talk to jesus when he sent out the 12 disciples uh, to, to proclaim the good news, he said, if anyone refuses to welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your, off your feet as you leave the town, and it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that city. Because it was, again, it's about hospitality. Yeah. Well, that's a big word. It's, uh, and there's so much work to do, but it does really start with us and thinking about how it, how it is that we open our hearts and, um, and offer something different to the world than what is so often offered. Okay. Uh, what is of deep relief to me is that we have our, we have our instructions. Yeah. Like we have our instructions. We know what we're supposed to do. And now <laughs> we just need to go out and do it. All you got to do is just, Love everybody. How hard can that be? Right. <laughs> yeah. All right, my friends. Good to talk to you as always. And uh, we'll see fellowship soon. I know it. Yeah. Uh, peace to Mayflower. All right. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.